At the Home Depot, the start of spring means it's time to add Vigoro and EarthGrow colored mulch to your list and your cart. Right now, get five bags at a special buy, just 10 bucks. Mulch helps retain soil moisture in shades of red, brown, or black. Hey, it's nice out. Today is the day for doing and mulching. With Vigoro and EarthGrow colored mulch, five bags, 10 bucks. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Color selection varies by store. Limit 60 per customer, continental U.S. only. Hello, everyone. This is Pam of Cafe Con Pam, the bilingual podcast that features fearless Latinas, Latinos, Latinx, and people of color that break barriers, change lives, and make this world a better place while living in the U.S. Welcome to episode number 77 of Cafe Con Pam. In today's show, we have the humbled therapist back. Once again, we've kept up our monthly episodes, I think for the first time in a long time. So we want to keep this once a month while we can, because you'll hear Priscilla right now is going through a good time with her daughter and we're able to do it. Who knows? Kids are unpredictable. So her schedule might change. But for now, don't forget to submit and continue to submit your anonymous questions. And we are going to do a special episode where we're going to answer all of your questions. And I will also read on the podcast the letters that you're sending me. Thank you so much for your feedback that you've left me. I oh, I love it so, so much. You give me that push and your feedback comes always when I most need it. So I, I thank you so much for that. Before we dive into the episode, I want to give you a trigger warning. For this one, I'm sure you've noticed in the title of the, of the episode, we're going to talk about a topic that's been recently talked about a lot in the news and the media, and that is suicide and self-harm. Priscilla and I talk about coping strategies for both the person who's thinking about completing suicide or self-harming and the family members left behind when suicide happens. Priscilla also shares a really personal story. So listeners, if you feel that this episode might bring some emotions to the surface and you might not be ready to listen to this, please disconnect, practice some self-care, listen to another episode, listen to another podcast even if you want, and or call a friend. If you have thoughts of hurting yourself, please call 1-800-273-8255. Or you can even text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. You matter. Please remember that. Now here are some alarming statistics from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., On average, there are 123 suicides per day. For every completed suicide, 25 people attempt. Based on my research, one of the most alarming results I found was this. Based on the 2015 Youth Risk Behavior Survey, 8.6% of youth in grades 9 through 12 reported that they had made at least one suicide attempt in the past 12 months. Girls attempted twice as often as boys, 11.6% versus 5.5%, and teens of Hispanic origin reported the highest rate of attempt, 11.3%, especially Hispanic females, 15.1%, when compared with white students, 
which is 6.8%, and white females, which is 9.8%. Approximately 2.8% reported making a suicide attempt that required treatment by a doctor or nurse. For those requiring treatment, rates were the highest for Hispanic students with black males, 4.0, and Hispanic males, 2.9, having higher rates than white male, 0.9% students. Those results are alarming for our community, and that shows that we're definitely at risk. So please talk to each other, and oh, this is so hard. I won't go into the statistics. I'll let you ponder on them. And here's my conversation with Priscilla, a.k.a. The Humbled Therapist. All right, Priscilla, so good to see you again. We are being a lot more consistent. This is really exciting. I know. I'm excited, too. I was like, it's Monday the 18th. Yes, we have this. We have, we have it on calendars. We're, we're good to go. Yes. So how you been? I've been been good since the last time we spoke. It's been a pretty consistent month, you know, as far as the baby's routine and everything. So I feel good. A little tired today, but that's just, I guess, life. Yeah. I've had life happen to me too. (laughs) Yeah. ¿Tú cómo estás? Bien. Tengo trabajo, gracias a Dios. Mm -hmm. Y just catching up. I feel like I'm I'm in a which I've talked about it in the podcast. I'm at this, like, transition. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? I've heard it. Yeah. You know, I need to, I, I'm figuring out, maybe I need, I don't know. Therapy? <laughs> well, of course I need therapy, yes. <laughs> Probably I should start there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just thinking a co- like a business coach. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think... Which I do have a lot of mentors, and I do ha- I do meet regularly with my mentors, but I think a more specific like goal setting coaching will mm-hmm. help me be more focused. Porque soy the Jane of all trades, and and that's kind of like yes, that you are, that you are, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So at some point, that's kind of like well, what are what are you really good at? Mm-hmm. So, but what if you're good at a lot of things? You're good at I a lot. No, and you're I not. had this conversation with someone the other day, and they were like, "Well, why don't you just embrace that?" And I'm like, "Yes, but mm. at the same time, I mean, I've been embracing it, you know." But about, yeah. in my yeah. photography, I'm evolving, and I feel like I don't have like all my systems the way that I want them. Also, I'm a recovering perfectionist, so mm-hmm. and recovering procrastination procrastinator. So it's like, I don't know. I need therapy, clearly. (laughs) I'm not depressed, though. I'm just like... No, you're just... I feel like there's a lot of moving parts going on for you right now. Trying to see how they all fit in or what parts you need to get rid of. Yes. Um, And that's good. I think transitions are good. There are seasons for everything, so... Definitely. A transitional season. Right now, I feel like I'm in a stable season. Thank God. (laughs) like waiting for the next thing which is like Karen being actually mobile so we'll see is that the next one or is it teething oh she's been teething oh she's been teething okay yeah so she already has like six teeth and two more coming in los colmillos son los que duelen más no uh uh-huh and last weekend she was really fussy and I was like I don't know what's going on and then Tuesday 
last Tuesday. So this is not Father's Day weekend, but the weekend before that she was really fussy. And then that Tuesday, she smiled at me and I saw like her gums and she had two new teeth and two like the side ones coming out too. So I was like, oh my gosh, like no wonder you've been having like sleepless nights. So, but uh, like she never fusses without a reason. Like that's her thing is like, I know she's fussy, she's hungry or she's tired or she's teething or something's (laughs) Or something like yeah. stabbing her gums. <laughs> yeah, because other than that, she'll sit there and play contentedly for however long. As long as you're kind of close by and she can see you, she's fine. So that's been my learning experience is to be a little more in tune with her and and trying to see how I can help her. But she's a really g- good kid right now because she doesn't really crawl. She's been scooting. So if she wants something, she'll like pull herself forward and um, I don't know if I shared this but I had asked the doctor at her nine-month follow-up because she's crawling right and she doesn't she likes to roll over but she doesn't care for it and I was like oh do you think you know she's not crawling because maybe you know here I am la psicologa trying to analyze everything and right because of her acid reflux we kept her in our arms <laughs> like long we didn't let her be on her back and you know, maybe she didn't spend enough time, you know, moving her arms and legs. And he was like, no, she's just on the heavy side. <laughs> <laughs> she is a little Aww. chunky monkey. <laughs> she's, she's really chunky. Yeah, she's 98th percentile in weight and now. In weight? <laughs> yeah. And 82nd percentile in height. So she's, you know, proportionate. But is she big. half of you now? She's been half of she's, you. <laughs> she's a half of me lengthwise. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> There you go, people. If you know how long she is, you know how tall I am. Right, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, I mean, so she's fine. Healthy baby. Oh, yeah. She's super healthy. But, yeah, once she starts crawling and, and moving around, I think I'm not going to have time for much anymore. Mm, so let's take advantage of, exactly. of our monthly calls for now. Of the, and this stable time of transition. Yes, yes. So today, on a more serious note, we, mm-hmm. we're we going to talk about something that's been happening lately, and we mm-hmm. felt that this needed to be addressed, and it's coping with suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we recently had two people that committed suicide, and these are known people. I mean, suicide happens every day, but these it's are that- people that are more known in, in the world and people that you on the outside, you would think that they were perfectly fine mm-hmm. because they had success. They had fame, if that's something that you look for. They had money and yet they took their lives. So uh, it's it's just so crazy. And, and there's people that go through this every day. I mean, mm-hmm. let's look at the... The statistics, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 45,000 people, Americans, die by suicide each year. That's insane. Mm-hmm. That's around 120 a day. 120 people commit suicide a day. That's And that's the people oh. that are completing suicide. Because if you think about mm. they're not in this statistic. Wow. So there's another one for every suicide, 25 people attempt. Yeah. So there you go. So imagine 120 times 25. That's oh. way too many people every day. There's that's way too much 
pain or trauma, despair, hopelessness. It's a very heavy, heavy topic for sure. Very, very much so. So there are obviously, I mean, ugh, this is so hard to talk about. There's so many、mm-hmm. risk factors that could push someone to that.、Mm-hmm. So there's obviously no single cause. No, no I mean, single cause. Like we've been saying, and this, we were talking about the two people that recently passed away were Kate Spade and Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain.、Mm-hmm. And it could be many things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's just a lot that goes into it. I think one of the main things as a mental health clinician that I look at is what kind of mental illness or what kind of diagnosis does this person have? Because there's some diagnoses that are more apt to. I guess attempt suicide because of the, I think, type of mental illness that you're dealing with. And it really, mental illness, when left untreated, literally drains the life out of you. I mean, to the point where you're just done. You're done fighting it. You're done trying to get over it. You're done trying to manage it. And any, you know, previous suicide attempts or family history of suicide puts someone definitely at a higher risk. Of suicide. So that's something that we're always wanting to assess for. And with like friends and family, if you know that someone's highly depressed or has kind of been mentioning, you know, talking about, hey, I'm having thoughts of death or maybe the world would be better off without me. And I can get a little more into detail in a little bit. But what I'm trying to say is if someone completes suicide and this is like sensationalized or in the news, Um, it's important to check in with people that you know are maybe at a stressful time in their life or that are having these kinds of struggles because there can be sort of a domino effect、mm. with suicide because people might get the courage to do it and, you know, hey, this person did it. So, you know, maybe I should try it too now. And, or they might imitate.、Uh, mm. So definitely that's a risk factor too when、uh, this. Is very publicized, and people that are thinking about it might also, you know, gain the courage to to go through with with their own suicide. And it's um, it's very, it's a very difficult topic. It's a very taboo topic. I don't, nobody likes to talk about this. It's a very difficult thing to even ask some of my new clients because we're scared. We're scared to talk about it. We're scared that if we say we have these thoughts, we're going to get institutionalized right away. And that is something that I wanted to clarify for everyone is that there's a difference in the form of suicidal thinking that as clinicians we assess for. So when we have bipolar or schizophrenia or an anxiety disorder, and we are just so tired of it and are having these thoughts like, oh my gosh, I wish I didn't Have to wake up tomorrow, or the world would be better off without me. These sort of thoughts tend to be, in essence, a bit more passive.、Mm. They're still serious, but this person isn't hinting at a plan or at intent. And so that's when we ask, you know, maybe if, if you were to take your life, how would you do it? Do you have a plan? And most people at this point will say, no, I would never do such a thing. I have children. That's just how I feel sometimes because I'm so done. And then there's obviously the other end of the spectrum where people definitely have thought it through. They have a plan. They are showing some of the signs that maybe we'll talk about in a little bit. 
and they have access to those means, right? So if someone is talking about this is how I'm going to go through with it, and they have access to that, then we really, really have to. That's where as clinicians and mental health professionals, we make a judgment call as to the confidentiality piece, right? Because right. If, if, if this person's life is in danger, then confidentiality is no longer a thing, right? It's like, not that we're breaking it, but it's just not covered. Mm. Right? If you're gonna, if you're saying that you want to hurt yourself or other people, that does not fall under the spectrum of confidentiality. And therefore, we need to contact a family member, contact the police, make sure this person is safe, right? And so at any point in the thinking process, if you're having these sort of thoughts, it's very important to reach out for help. At any given, I mean, if you're just thinking like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow or God, I wish I would get hit by a train. You know, these kinds of things are very important for us to reach out um, no matter what end of the spectrum we're in, whether it's passive or more active planning stages of it. So for people who have are, have those thoughts like, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm so done. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I didn't wake up tomorrow. That could evolve to. Yes actual thoughts of like, let me plan this out and Mm -hmm. let me just do it? Very much so. Yeah, it could definitely evolve just as it could also go away. But as long as the thoughts aren't addressed, I believe there's just a chance that they're going to come back and it accumulates and it builds up. And I know I have shared my own story of feeling incredibly depressed and going through the motions of living for a long time. And that's actually when I sought medical attention was when I was feeling like I didn't want to wake up the next day because Mm -hmm. I was so tired of feeling so hopeless, not hopeless, but um, helpless. And I think just so tired of everything being so difficult to go through every single day. And I remember going into my assessment and the psychiatrist asked me, you know, do, are you having thoughts of suicide? And I said, no, I don't have any active plans. And then I just broke down and said, but I don't want to live. I said, I'm so tired. And I just, I'm done. Like I'm tired and I know I'm young and it sounds so stupid because I have a lot of things going for me, but you know, it's almost like this physical, mental, emotional pain that it's just you're just dragging through life. And so it was definitely a wake up call for for us in that sense, because I've never, I think, admitted that to anyone. But you know, my tears kind of admitted it for me when Mm -hmm. she asked. So as long as I am managing it with medication and therapy and, and doing what I need to do, I haven't had those thoughts. I think that was back in 2012. And I think that's pretty much the last time I ever considered um, that, oh my gosh, I have this passive type of thinking going on and I need to get help. So for the people that, because this topic, it's still very, like you said, taboo and not talked about. And it's that fear. It's very misunderstood, I think. Totally. Well. And the one thing that really stood out for me was when you said that people still get are scared of saying or of speaking out of their thought because they have fear that they'll be institutionalized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are like, you're, that's not the first route to treat no. someone. Exactly. Exactly. I think you just hit the 
nail on the head with that. It is not the first route. You know, first it's that assessment piece, you know, really asking this person, where are you in your thinking? I don't think I have ever had to call, which in San Diego, it was the PERT team, which is the the special kind of area of the police department that would come assess and then hospitalize people. Because as clinicians, we can't hospitalize you. So, I mean, that's Mm. the thing. Call a medical professional. So we do the assessment piece and then we can make that call. But yeah, the first piece is the assessment and talking about it. And many, many times in my work with adolescents, And even young children, you know, I've had a child as young as 11 years old. With suicide thoughts? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. With suicidal ideation. And, oh, I just got chills because I remembered her last day with me, but I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But usually in talking through it, we discuss what is causing the thoughts. You know, what is behind it? Are you unhappy? Are you feeling invalidated? Do you want, you know, more attention from the people around you? Do you want to do better? Do you want to have more friends? And so as we start to talk about what is behind the thoughts, people start to gain a sense of hope and a sense of ownership of I can do something to change the way that I'm feeling. Mm. And most of the times we have been able to talk about safety, safety planning. So really, that's a huge part of therapy or therapeutic idea of having a safety plan where we include like what would be. Like, how would you know that you're close to doing something that could hurt yourself or other people? How would you know? Who can you contact? What are your coping skills? And we talk through also that spectrum of, are you able to still manage it on your own? Or do you need to reach out? Do you need to call 911? Do you need to let a loved one know that you're feeling this way and that they need to get you help? And so it's that whole safety planning thing that we are almost, I think, in in practice for me, 99% of the time, we're able to get to that part by the end of the session of talking about safety and talking about, well, can you make it to tomorrow? And can Mm -hmm. I call check in with you? And just taking it day, day by day, day by day with them. So you're right. It's not the first thing I'm going to do is call a hospital or, or call an ambulance and have a person taken away. That is really far from the first thing that we do. That's usually the last thing that we do when we feel an actual threat. That's good. So that's clear for listeners now. And one thing that I also think that actually I was in, I, I, right after this happened, Mm -hmm. everyone was talking about it, obviously. And, and because people were concerned, you know, we don't want to lose lives if we can do something about it. And Mm -hmm. someone I know, he posted a, a, this is a comment on Facebook and he was like, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like posting a a suicide 800 number is not going to help me when I'm already in my room ready to die. Like you Mm -hmm. posting a number is not, what is that going to do? You know, because Mm -hmm. he went through that. And, and so Mm -hmm. it made me think, and I'm like, well, I mean, you're in a sense, right. But in a sense, I mean, it might help someone, you know? Yes. So I don't know. I think, how as the outside, mm. you know, family friends, what is too invasive to see someone and be like, are you okay? You know? Yeah, that is. <sighs> oh, gosh, it's so hard, Pam. And and it's such a it's a topic that hits very close to home for me. So my biological father, uh, he completed suicide when I was 23 years old. And I know like way back when, when we first started talking, I shared about my mom, Uh, my biological mom passed away when I was 14. She had an aneurysm. 
And so nine years later, my dad took his life and I'm, you know, I was devastated. It, it was just not only did we not have a good and close relationship, but also in hindsight, you notice all of the things that you missed. Mm. We All the could-haves show up. Yes, all the could-haves, all the what-ifs. And maybe in the second part of our talk today, we can talk a little bit more about how to cope with it or how to come to an understanding, if we can even call it that, or some closure of, of the people that are left behind. Um, because I think that death by suicide leaves so many questions. It leaves so much confusion, anger, sadness, um, self kind of deprecation because you're thinking like, oh my gosh, like I could have done something. Right. And yeah, in hindsight, you know, I could see a lot of the things that, you know, my dad was probably doing before he left, but he didn't do a lot of the typical things that you would think someone that's planning suicide would do, right? He wasn't, he was actually on the up and up. Mm. So that's what that was difficult because he, and and actually this is now that we look back, right? This is part of some of the signs. Uh, someone who was maybe very hopeless and very depressed and and just kind of out of it, all of a sudden they're making amends with people. They're giving away some prized possessions. They're, yeah. Se está despidiendo. Ajá, se está despidiendo. Y yo ni en cuenta. O sea, el fin de semana, the weekend before he completed suicide, we had a really good time. And this was very uncommon for my dad and myself because we would always get into some sort of argument. And I was almost not going to go see him that weekend because of that, because I, I was like, you know, we always end up fighting. I don't want to fight with him. And it's just no good. But that weekend, we went out. Um, we were actually celebrating one of my sister's birthdays. September 16th is her birthday. And we went out to eat. And he paid for everyone's meal, which was also very, I guess, not common because there was mm -hmm. a lot of people that went out to eat. He was in a very good mood. And he was almost like taking it all in, you know, like looking back and seeing his face in that moment, like he was just taking it all in and hugging us a little too much. And he was just telling me like how proud he was of me and how happy he was. Mm. And we left on a really good note. You know, we just, I was like, wow. And I even came home and told Mario like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we had such a good time with my dad. I'm so glad I went. You know, and even looking back, I'm so glad I went and I had that moment, uh, those last moments with him. And so getting the call that Monday morning, because that was over the weekend, was just, and I didn't know that's how he died. My sister just called and told me he had been in an accident. Mm. I was in denial for a long time that day because I was like, no, not dad, you know, dad always comes back. You know, no matter how many times he had left our family, he always comes back, no matter how many times he had gone off the deep end with drugs or alcohol, he always comes back. This can't be him. I'm like, are you sure they have the right person? Mm -hmm. He's like, yes, you know, you have to come now. So of course, we drove down to my grandma's house in TJ. We were in San Diego at the time. And I still didn't know how he had died. They kept saying accident, accident, and something just didn't feel right. Because I was like, you know, I don't think that life would be that cruel to 
take both my parents in, in weird ways. And it did make sense in a way when they told me he had completed suicide because I knew how much pain he was in, mm. how much pain he had been in his whole life and how he felt unfulfilled and maybe like he was letting us down. Maybe like we would be better off without him. I don't know. I, I can't know what drove him in those final moments. But it, it somehow made everything come full circle. And in hindsight, we were like, oh, my goodness, this was happening all along. And we just didn't realize it. We just thought it was one of his I'm doing better stages. And um, he was 50 at the time. So he was fairly young. Mm. And yeah, it just it leaves you spinning. It, it leaves you spinning. And it left me in a very bad place for a long time. I yeah. bet. So many questions. Did he leave a, a note? Is, he did. He did pretty leave typical a note. note. Yes. So most people who complete suicide or are attempting suicide will leave a note. Um, and I think that's part of the planning. You know, that's that's one of the things that we can look at and know that they had been maybe considering this for a while. And... I never did read the note. I don't think I wanted to at the time. It just didn't seem relevant because I'm like, he's gone anyway. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting because I still think about, do I want to read it? To this day, I haven't read it. Wow. And so it's one of those things where I'm like, wow. And there are definitely times when a hotline, a safety plan, a concerned family member have saved lives, right? I've had clients attempt suicide. And that has always been one of my worst fears, you know, considering the experience with my dad. I, right. I was all scared shitless that one of my kids, and by my kids, I mean my clients, yes. was to attempt and complete suicide. And I remember the first time I had to de-escalate a suicidal client, um, took me like maybe an hour and a half or two hours of a session. Like we were there for a long time because she wasn't contracting for safety. I thought we were going to have to call the hospital or have her mom drive her to the hospital. And then she said, you know, I think I can make it till tomorrow. And I was like, talked about the safety plan, talked about how she was doing. And, um, you know, she to not to kind you know, all the things that we talk about as far as, you know, not leaving them unsupervised, you know, making sure that she's safe, that you take any like pills or things that she could cut herself with just, you know, kind of like preventative things that we do with the families. And I just broke down with my supervisor afterwards. I just went and said, I just want you to know she's okay. But, you know, it took us a while to get there. And I just started bawling. Mm. And he was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, this was just my worst fear. And now that I've dealt with it, it feels good in a way that we were able to talk about it. But at the same time, it brings back so much from my dad. Totally. How were you able to, like, keep it together in the session? Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I don't know. I think it's just the therapist poker face. You're just in another zone yeah. when you're this, and you have to keep it together because if I break down, the client's probably going to be like, "This lady's crazy." Right? Who who gives therapy to who now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Okay, so I have a question. Yeah. Do you know when someone's going through suicidal thoughts or has is doing through going through whatever stage they're in, whether it's the beginning or like they're already planning it? At some point, is there a, I know I don't want to be here. I know I'm planning to be gone. But is Mm -hmm. there like a little voice in their head that, but there's like this little tiny hope? 
Oh, or yeah. is it gone? Yeah, I think so. There's two sides to that answer. And I think a lot of people who think about it, um, but have, har- have, you know, are harboring some hope or are holding on for a pet or a loved mm. one. Those are called protective factors, right? So what protective factors do we have? And I think the more, the more protective factors, protective factors that someone has that I can't talk, the more we consider like, okay, they, they have some hope there. But then there's also the flip side of that, which is when people have already decided on suicide, they are almost looking forward to that day. Does mm. that make sense? Like, I can be happy now and enjoy because I know that on this day, I've already planned to take my own life and everything's going to be over. So there can be a sudden improvement in their mood, a sense of relief for them. Again, that visiting or calling people to say goodbye and or giving away things. So those are some of the of the signs that you would see in, in someone who's, I think, like my like with my dad, where I think his mood lifted because he had this knowledge that that was going to happen. Put up with this much longer, you know. Oh, so the follow up to that question is whether so I guess for either who the person who's thinking who's having the thought and for loved ones so Mm. for the person who's having the thoughts what can they do to quiet that mind that that voice that's telling them you know you need to do this or we just need to be gone everything will be easier and increase the voice of like there's hope there's Mm. something that could be done if they don't have access to a therapist because i mean it's pretty common it is yeah And the more you talk about it, the more that we come across people who say, wow, I knew someone who completed suicide, but we don't talk about it, right? So um, I was watching Good Morning America when they were talking about Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and their journalist, that's like their medical, what do you call it, like their medical liaison, I guess. She talked about how her ex-husband completed suicide. Wow. Yes. And so it, it is, I think, more common than we realize. And so, yes, I do believe, obviously, seeking treatment would be ideal. I think it would be ideal to seek treatment because a lot of times there is, I think, 90% of the times there's like a medical illness involved, a drug addiction or mm-hmm. alcohol abuse and bullying could be happening for younger people bullying yes bullying can be happening especially the cyber bullying which is so sad and so prevalent right now that's just a whole other topic but it is so sad to see how that can lead someone to say you know i just don't want to face the day tomorrow mm-hmm. and so you know someone who's getting bullied or is that if you are that person having those thoughts i guess i'll answer this question if you can seek treatment professional treatment that would be the best option if that isn't open to you or for whatever reason you know you just don't want to do that obviously talking to a loved one talking to a trusted person about how you're feeling engaging in in life and the things that you enjoy doing but again that can be so hard when you have a mental illness preventing you from doing that yeah you know if you have depression or anxiety or bipolar you do need to have that you know, medication piece, the treatment piece, the therapy piece in order to help because sometimes it is just beyond. And I think that's what happens with suicide is that it just occurs when like your stress exceeding your ability to 
of life. Mm. And so I guess know you're not alone and know that other people have been in your shoes and have come back from that. And a hotline can help. I've called the lifeline myself. Whenever I give hotlines to my clients, I call them ahead of time to make sure, number one, that the number is working. Yeah. And number two, that the person I'm talking to or that the people I talk to there are supportive. And so sometimes even if you're having thoughts, they are like a free form of therapy that you can have. And just saying like, I'm feeling this way. I need help. I just want to talk, you know, about this with someone. Mm -hmm. They are there to help and they are there to um, to talk to you. And there's also a text line if you feel more comfortable texting. There's definitely people out there. So I wouldn't recommend going at it alone, to be honest, Pam. I wouldn't recommend dealing with it on your own because I think that's what gets more isolating. Mm-hmm. And what you need is to be engaged. And for the loved ones. So for example, if someone came to me, mm. like, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'll be like, you need to go to a therapy, to therapy, you know, but a lot of times people don't have the knowledge that therapy can help. I mean, it, again, going back to to people yes. thinking that therapy, they're just first thing they're going to do is they're going to hospitalize you, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some things that people can be like, number one, obviously send them to a professional. Yes. And secondly, I would definitely say don't put a burden on yourself to be the reach all do all for this person mm-hmm. to a lot of, um, I think like crippling fear or even guilt, you know, if, if you're the only person out there, but you know, if someone is coming to you and they're having these thoughts, you're not a mental health professional, definitely encouraging them to seek treatment, taking steps with them towards seeking treatment. So not just saying, Hey, you need to see a therapist, but Hey, Let's look at your insurance. What does your insurance cover? Can we call the lifeline together? Mm-hmm. We text together. Can we plan some activities for the week to keep them engaged, mm-hmm. to know the cares? Even if it's just, I'm coming over to your house and we're going to watch a movie and we're going to bake cookies and we're going to stuff our faces with junk food, um, get that dopamine going. I don't know. But <laughs> it's taking, I would say, is taking steps with the person toward engaging in treatment and engaging in life once again. Um, But again, I wouldn't ask anyone to burden themselves with being the like cure-all. Right. You know what I mean? Because not even as therapists are we able to every single time say we knew something was going to happen. Because if someone's not telling us, it's so hard to accurately assess. And so I would just definitely engage them, take steps with them. And check in with them, you know, let them know somebody cares and and helping them take the steps toward their recovery. Totally. Oh, this is so hard. It's heavy. Yeah. Okay, so now let's give something for the the loved ones Mm -hmm. of, you know, someone who's dealt with, someone who's completed suicide. Like what? Because I'm thinking that – the family, the people that are left behind, they go through so much afterwards. Like you said earlier, like so many questions, all the what ifs. Oh, yeah. I mean, for anyone who's experiencing grief, especially because someone that is close to you completed suicide, you, my first thing would be allow yourself to grieve. 
And grief takes many forms. Okay, so grief, um, many people have heard of the five stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't, they are considered to be, you know, denial, which is what I went through initially. Like, this isn't happening. They can't have the right person. This can't be true. They would, they can't die, you know, basically. Mm. And that shock, that initial shock sometimes can last up to a month. I would say where we're just, we, we don't want to deal with it. And for me, it manifested in, I couldn't eat. So I actually felt like there was a huge knot in my throat. And I had a really hard time swallowing because I hadn't let anything. Expressed eat. it. Oh, my gosh. That was intense. I'm getting chills. But um, I, I hadn't cried. I hadn't screamed. I hadn't done anything about it. It was just like this huge just like not in my throat because I was in, in denial and I wasn't ready, I don't think, to deal with it. Mm-hmm. There's sadness and depression. So obviously I think that's what we most associate with grief is the crying, it's the being depressed, it's the not being able to shower, not being able to eat or go out because we miss our loved ones so much. There's anger. We can be feeling anger at ourselves. Like mm-hmm. why didn't I think? Why didn't I know? Anger at the person. You know, why would they leave me like this? How mm. could they? There's bargaining. Um, so oftentimes we'll say, um, this is usually bargaining, I think mostly happens because when Kubler-Ross was doing um, her work on grief and dying, it was more, I think, patients who were termini- terminally ill, like you might bargain, like, if God cures me, I will do this. Mm. Or that That's mostly what bargaining refers to. And then finally, acceptance, which is not that you are a 100% okay with it, but that you've at least come to a place where you realize it happened, you've gone through the grief, and you're able to talk about it without necessarily breaking down, even Mm -hmm. though that could go. So that's what I would say is allow yourself to grieve. There's a lot of very intense emotions that I think follow family members of those people that complete suicide or or known friends and things like that. It's just a very intense, there's a lot of confusion. I think also, so allow yourself to feel that. And we're sometimes also scared to talk about it with the people around us because we're like, oh, no, if I talk about the death, I'm going to make them feel bad. Right. Smiling. So I don't want to bring it up. But no, everyone has it and no one wants to bring it up. So I remember we would do and I don't even remember where this idea came from. But with my sisters, I would check in with them regularly, like just to see how they were doing. And it came... From an idea called bad day cake. Bad day cake? Yeah, like you had a bad day. And so it was almost like the idea came from, I guess someone said, like, when at, whenever one of our girlfriends goes through a breakup, we all, like, get together, make cookies and cake, and we just kind of stuff our faces at night and talk about how much we, like, hated that guy and just kind of get all the feelings out, right? So I kind of took that and made it a little bit different, and we would make brownies and get milk, and we would talk about how much we missed dad, um, if we were mad, if we were sad, um, and then it always seemed to end on good memories of him. Mm. So I would really, like, again, I think engagement would be a key word in this, to stay engaged with other people about your grief, because everyone's feeling it. Right. Nobody wants to talk about it. So when you do open the floor to it, I think it allows for healing in a very different way where you don't necessarily need to be at a therapist's office. Because I I think that you can give yourself up to a year, I would say, 
of, of the grief. If you feel like after one year, you're still just reeling and can't cope, that's, I would say, a form of complicated grief. And I would encourage people to seek therapy. But of course, if right away you're like, you know what, I'm just, I need to go to therapy to cope with this. That's also fine. But just know that grief will take many forms. It often comes in waves. It's okay to allow yourself to feel those things and, and write them down. I know like my dad loved the doors and like 80s music and, and rock, like um, rock in Espanol. And so sometimes I would just listen to that and cry and remember driving in the car with him. And, and so really we're scared to tap into that. But in doing so, that's where you release most of that baggage and grief. Totally. And, and being intentional about it. You know, like, yes, yes, that's like, a good word. You would listen to it because you were, you were honoring what he loved. You mm -hmm. know, it's not like you're listening to it, but uh, just be sad about it. It's because you want a good memory about it. And also, I wanted to clarify the stages of grief can, can, they can reverse and you can go up and down and. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah. Not in order. Yeah. They don't happen in order necessarily so yeah you're right about that yeah you can be like oh I'm finally accepting it and then all of a sudden you get hit with a wave of anger or sadness or confusion once again and you're right there it's not a stage one you go through right <laughs> it's more like stage five four three three four five you know and you just like go all and to my comeback <laughs> exactly yeah and, and you said a very important word too which is honor and I think that one of the huge things I like to do with my uh, grief work and my clients is once they're close to the acceptance stage is finding ways for them to honor the person in their lives and it could be something very simple right so for example like that rock music that my dad used to love to listen to one way that I honor and remember him is playing that music mm -hmm. and allowing myself to have fun with it like he used to. Mm -hmm. uh, same with, with my mom, you know, I honor her in doing little things with my daughter that she loved to do with me. Like she loved to take the simple games, like, you know, buy us bubbles, jump rope. Obviously, Karen can't jump rope, but you know, <laughs> yet you know, I could <laughs> for her. She would buy me the jacks, you know, the little like she would buy me hula hoops, just like the simple things to entertain kids. And And so I look forward to doing that with my daughter and thinking of it as a way to honor her memory and honor what she did in my life. So I like that you use that word because I think that is another big part of our acceptance phase and um, and being intentional because it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't no. come like, oh, I'm going to do this. Like you actually are intentional and having traditions helps a lot too because you have to write your traditions without this person and yeah and i mean and the tr the tradition is the legacy that they left behind exactly yeah. so making sure that it's done i am part of i'm on the board of chula's mission it's a nonprofit organization that takes on girls that have lost their mothers whether it's through it could be suicide it could be i mean it could be death of Ill any illness yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. or it could be moms that are really absent One of the things that we do with the girls is that we ask them for their mom's birthday. And so every mom's birthday, they mm -hmm. bake a cake and they honor their mother. They make their favorite mm -hmm. cake or whatever and they and they just honor their mom and they have a great time and they make it a fun day and just like the mom would have loved them to have. Oh, that's beautiful. 
And I, the, I mean, these are like little girls. I mean, mm-hmm. the youngest one is eight. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're getting a younger one. I don't know. So, yes, all that to say the, uh, back to the honoring. Yeah, I think I think it's important. I think teaching them, especially if there's little kids. Yeah. You know, teaching yeah. them that. We yes. have seen it in the girls that it, it, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to diminish the pain because I don't think it does, but it makes no. them, it makes them in a sense, like, I don't know, like honor them and just. It, it gives you a sense of completion. Mm, yes. And, and it, um, it really lets you talk about them and, and think about them on that day when we're so often wanting to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think pain does demand to be felt. And the more we suffocate the pain, the more it screams out. And so it's usually very important to lean into it, but it's very difficult. It's very hard. I, I remember telling my therapist, because it drove me to therapy, right, that I was like, I don't want to open the floodgates because there's just so much. Right. It's so scary. It's scary. And also for families coping with suicide, it's very important to... We, we do ask the questions. We ask the question, why? What could I have done? And each person is going to come to their own understanding of what that answer means for them. Because it does take a while. It does take a while to work through all of those what ifs. Mm. And, um, but I would really remind everyone that it's nobody's fault. It's a decision that that person made. And... We may never fully understand why, even if they leave a note. You know, we, we don't really know exactly why. We may never know why. And um, it, it is one of the parts of coping with it that we sometimes have to live with some unanswered questions. What could someone do or what have you done with the clients who have lost loved ones? So a part of their grief work can be writing a letter. Sometimes it's even hard to get to that point in therapy because people don't want to do this. Or I'll bring it up and they'll say they're not ready. But it's a good part of it. And it's it's important to really get thoughts and feelings out, even questions that we'd like to ask them and, and writing it. And there's something about putting it in writing uh, that's really helpful. And to give yourself permission to be mad at someone who's died. I know Hispanic culture, we tend to like sanctify people that die. Like, oh, we don't say anything bad about the person that died. Like. They they're were gone. People. Yeah, they're gone. Let's not dig up the past. But it's like, okay, first of all, this person hurt me. And that just because they're dead doesn't mean that hurt went anywhere. Like it's erased. Yes. And that was a very powerful thing that my therapist allowed me to do. She was like, you can be mad at your dad. You can be mad at him, even though he's gone. I was like, but there's no one to work it out with but myself at this point. She's like, that's... That's the point. Oh. Exactly. So I was like, Ugh. And um, the process is painful. And so writing a letter, um, the flip side, you don't like to write it. And some people, this is weird, but talking to the deceased person out loud mm. is also an interesting thing to do. And um, sometimes I will recommend, like, do you ever talk to your friend that died? Do you ever talk to your cousin? They're like, how? And I'm like, well, depending on your belief system, right? But I, I would like to believe that, you know, people who have gone on, you know, that have passed on are somehow still present with us, whether they live in our hearts or, like you said, the legacy they live with, leave with us. So I like to talk to them. Sometimes I'll talk to my mom and I'll say, oh, you know, I really 
you wouldn't believe what Karen did today. You know, this is, she did this or she did that. And, and just kind of conversing with them. We may not get an answer, but it lets us get some things out that maybe we left unsaid. Yeah. Maybe we need to apologize. Ooh, you can release it out. So there's, yeah, way. there's a lot that, that can happen with that writing a letter or talking out as if you're talking to the person. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. That was really wonderful. I'm sure it was for, hard. Thank you for allowing me to do that. I don't often talk about it because it's not a uh, something that comes up in regular conversations. Right, right. Well, and like we don't talk about it. And we don't talk about it, right? I just say my father died because usually when you do say the word suicide, people are just kind of like shocked. And, <gasps> yeah. yeah, you're all, or they ask what questions that are just like, "Well, how did he die? What what did he do?" And I've had people push where I'm like, "I said I would rather not talk about that. Like, I don't want to remember him that way, and so I'm not going to tell you how he died." Like, he's just, gone. Like, That's the point. Yeah, exactly. And some people will really want to know, like, el morbo. You know? Yes. Which I respect that, but 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 it's like if you say you don't want to talk about it, then leave me alone. Um, yes. And and it, it is a heavy thing. So sometimes people, you'll know who can walk with you in it because some people can't. It's too much. Right. It, it, and for both sides, I think for whether it's the person receiving the comment or the person giving it, kind of mm-hmm. like sense it out. Like, yeah, is this yeah. person handling it or no? I mean, I have people that I can't talk about certain things exactly mm-hmm. like i just it, it's just not no say that it's just it's not going to lead to any good right, right? yeah we're we're kind of like on different channels you know that like there's just no point we're wasting our time exactly 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 and so you get a feel for that and and you'll get to know i think that life will send you the people that need to walk with you in that process sometimes we seek them out like a therapist and sometimes we find him in the last person we could think of. But yeah, definitely staying engaged and engaged with the pain. Mm. Acknowledge it. and Because mm-hmm. if we don't acknowledge the pain, then we're ignoring it, which is worse. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, any final thoughts that I didn't ask? No, no. I think we covered a lot of ground in very little time, but... I do yeah. want to say to the listeners, and I know I'm for sure you're going to link this on the podcast, but there's the Lifeline, um, the National Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. I usually have all my subscribers and clients save that on their phone, um, as well as the text line, which is 741-741, and you can just text TALK to that. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I would just say if you are in a crisis or even having those kinds of passive thoughts, reach out and, um, and yeah, uh, ask questions. If you need, if you have questions that I didn't answer or that you want to know more about, feel free to send them. I know Pam made an awesome anonymous link Yes, for us. And I need to use it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I need to submit my questions too. <laughs> exactly. I need to submit some of my own. Uh, but yeah, I think we we hit a lot of important things. But again, it's a very heavy topic, a very dense and complex thing to talk about. So if there's any specifics or if you want to know more or ask something, we're here. 
Thank you. And yes, that's another another really good point that every case, I'm sure it's different. Oh, yes, yes. So 100%. listeners, what we're saying here, I mean, th- it's kind of like a general idea, you know. Exactly. Definitely exactly. seek a professional always. Yes, yes. Always seek a professional. Um, this is also just my experience with it. Somebody might have a completely different experience. Religious beliefs come into play when talking about suicide. Um, the way we, just a lot of things influence it. So always, you know, seek a professional's opinion. Um, and yeah, that that's good to point out. I, I thank you for doing that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming once again. Yay. Thank you for having me. And, and if you guys earlier, Pam made a comment about it's getting hot and it's because <laughs> She asked me to turn off the AC. Well, she didn't ask me to. I volunteered to turn off the AC because it makes a lot of noise for the recording. But I am in touch with people. <laughs> What's the temperature? Just just to give them an idea. Oh, um, you don't even want to look. <laughs> high 90s. I have to look. In, inside my house, it's like 74. With the AC on. Yes. Yeah, so now that it's off, it's probably like 80. <laughs> in here all right well stop this you can go turn that on thank (laughs) Thank you you. thank you pam thank you all right listeners that was my conversation with priscilla this time i'm not gonna lie this was a difficult topic to touch on because like we mentioned in the episode we don't talk about these things so even me formulating the questions had me conflicted about what was the right thing to ask all in all though if you see that someone's acting different or maybe they look sad it's okay to ask them how they're doing Showing that you care, sometimes that's what people need is is knowing that somebody else cares. Invite them for a walk. Sometimes you don't even have to talk about anything. All someone might need could be someone to walk with. That's it. Someone to share space with. Listeners, I am so thankful for you. Oh, so thankful and grateful. Thank you for all the feedback you've been sending me anonymously. I know I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Next week, you will finally listen to my interview with Dr. Janet Brito. She is a sex therapist based in Hawaii. And I can't wait to bring her back and answer all of your questions you've sent me and the questions that you will be sending me after the episode. Okay, so one thing, I'm going to shift things a little bit. I don't want to ignore what's currently happening in in our country. Last week, I was very tempted to do a short episode and switch things up. But I couldn't bring myself to. I was, I was so, I was really hurt. And then after I did some self care and some meditation, went inwards and worked with my pain, then I realized that we have to do something. So I am talking about the family separations that are happening. And if you follow me on social media, as soon as I find new things to do i post them and i've also posted a blog with the organizations that i found and i'm gonna talk about it a little bit here i know this has been a long episode but i think it's important if you're listening to this before june 30th june 30th 2019 is the families belong together national day of action and you can find the nearest event if you go to bit.ly forward slash attend families belong together and this is hosted by moveon.org they had a really long link 
I'm going to give you a whole bunch of bit.ly's because they had super long links that you're not going to remember, so I just shortened them for you. So this is this page is hosted by moveon.org, and the short link is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash attend families belong together, and you'll find your nearest event. Now, if you're listening after June 30th, it's totally fine. The, the work doesn't stop there because from June 29th through July 8th, members of Congress will be home in their districts for congressional recess. This is your chance to make sure members of Congress listen to you. There are events hosted by Indivisible.org and you can find your nearest event at bit.ly forward slash Indivisible events bit.ly forward slash I-N-D-I-V-I-S-I-B-L-E-E-V-E-N-T-S, Indivisible Events. Also, We Are Girl Latina has opened up connections for volunteer opportunities. It's awesome. And you can head over to bit.ly forward slash Guerreras to find out how you can get involved. This is an amazing opportunity that the team at Wheel Grow opened up for anyone to get involved and offer their bilingual skills. So head on over. There are definitely ways to help. If you go to spreadideasmovepeople.com forward slash blog, you will see the latest post where I list other organizations you can also support. Long outro, but necessary listeners. Thank you so much for leaving iTunes reviews. I'm so happy when I see them that they keep coming up. That means you're listening and I am happy to see that. Your ratings and your reviews help the podcast get bumped on the reading list, which in return gives the podcast more visibility. Thank you so much to my new patrons. Oh my gosh, I appreciate appreciate you so much for your continued support. It doesn't matter the amount of money that you give me. It helps so much. Making a podcast is not easy. And you get letters from me in the mail which I think it's a big plus. (laughs) Please continue to give me feedback and your honest opinions through the listener survey. I am having conversations with potential sponsors and brands and your answers have helped me already support my proposals. And also, if you continue to give me more of your feedback, then that helps my statement. Ultimately, I want to serve you the best way possible and your answers help a ton the survey is completely anonymous they ask you some very specific questions like your income and your marital status which i don't get your name or any additional information this is simply to figure out demographics of the listenership for the podcast to fill yours out head over to spreadideasmovepeople.com forward slash support don't forget to follow Cafe Compound Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and like on Facebook. Join the Support Brown Podcast Facebook group. The song is by Henry Castro and listeners At the Home Depot, the start of spring means it's time to add Vigoro and Earth Grow colored mulch to your list and your cart. Right now, get five bags at a special buy, just 10 bucks. Mulch helps retain soil moisture in shades of red, brown, or black. Hey, it's nice out. Today is the day for doing and mulching. With Vigoro and EarthGrow colored mulch, five bags, ten bucks. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Color selection varies by store. Limit 60 per customer. Continental U.S. only. The Home Depot is making it easy to turn your favorite moment into the perfect color for any room with the Project Color app. Upload any image, then discover the colors and paint to match. Now you're a swipe and a click closer to everything you need for your next project. 
Explore the most popular colors and trending palettes to find your perfect paint. Get a colorful new experience with the Project Color app, then shop our best brands with gallons starting from just $25.97 at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. U.S. only see store for details.